the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have you with us. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. So it is just me, but that's fine, having an opportunity to talk with Janice Horwitz. Uh, Janice is, has covered healthcare issues for Time Magazine for more than two decades, created and hosted the public radio segment, Dueling Docs, The Cure to Contradictory Medicine. And she also contributed to The Economist, Allure, and the New York Times, and she is author of the book, Health Yourself, What's Really Driving Your Care, and How to Take Charge. And so, uh, Janice Horwitz, great to have you with us. Thanks for coming on board. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thinking about what you talked about on public radio in your segment, Dueling Docs, The Cure to Contradictory Medicine, uh, boy, a lot of people face that challenge. Yes, they do. Um, the, the issue about contradictory medicine is, as we all know, there's a study one week that, said some, that says something, and then the next week you hear the opposite. Whatever it is, hormone replacement therapy is good for you, and it will prevent heart disease and breast cancer. Oops, hormone replacement therapy uh, may be related to an increased risk of heart disease and, and breast cancer. So it's very hard to kind of sort out where the truth is in these contradictions. And what I try to do in my book is make people um, sort of skeptics, like healthy skeptics, so to speak, so they know the right questions to ask. And um, once you kind of are able to navigate through the contradictions, you can end up getting better care. Now, some of the issues often are age-related. I can remember my folks, uh, both the past, but uh, their doctors were on a pedestal, and God forbid you question them. Uh, but as you get down to millennials and younger, uh, it's okay to say to the doctor, how do you know that? I want a second opinion. Uh, are you sure about that? Uh, not something older folks, I think, are willing to do. 
Well, you know, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And it, you, you kind of have to thread the needle a bit because doctors are people like you, like me, like the listeners. So they actually consciously or not treat patients who they like better than patients who they don't like or they feel defensive around. So it is important to ask questions, but you need to do it in a way that they don't think you're sitting there waiting to sue. So, uh, you know, never use words like libel, negligence, don't express anger, make it a collaborative process so that you both are on the same side. And, you know, doctors are increasingly used to patients asking questions because these days, all demographics, really, and certainly the caretakers of care recipients, uh, search the web. So doctors know how to field questions. So the point is to kind of be kind that um, you're all you're all after the same thing. And there are other constraints, if I may go on. For example, um, you know, we know that doctor visits are very rushed these days. So there's nothing wrong with saying, let me come back for another paying visit so that I can ask my questions. You know, keep it loose, keep it comfortable. Um, And then it, it... you tell me whether to continue, but you talked about getting a second opinion. And this is something I stress in my book. Uh, but I want people to do better than a second opinion. So second opinions are great. There's no doubt about it. And, and shockingly great. 35% of the time, a second opinion yields a different treatment. of the time, which is really a lot, it yields a different diagnosis altogether. Wow. So what we've been hearing for ages about second opinions are right. However, you can do better and get what I call a second perspective. And what I mean by that is, let's say you have a shoulder problem. You go to an orthopedist, as you should. For your second input, don't go to the orthopedist down the hall. Don't go to your friend's orthopedist. Go to a different but related field. Go to an osteopath. Go somewhere different so you're really getting a different perspective. So why, let's say, an osteopath and an orthopedist? The reason is medical specialties all follow, each of them follow different guidelines. So the guidelines set up by the Medical Society for an orthopedist is different than the guidelines for an osteopath. They're trained differently, and they see a different patient population. So you're really getting totally interesting different stuff. And that's why I recommend for your second opinion that you get a second perspective. What's the best way to find that specialist to go to for that second opinion? Right. So it's the same way you get the first person, right? You ask your friends, you search online. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is go to a different institution. In other words, 
if your doctor is affiliated with XYZ hospital, go to ABC hospital and look for that different uh, specialty in the hospital. It's actually really not that hard. You know, I could give some examples for a headache. You can start with your internist. Second opinion may be a neurologist. Third opinion may be a pain, a pain specialist. So keep it all stirring. And then I can anticipate a question, if you don't mind my um, anticipating. And that is, what do you do? We talked about the cure to contradictory medicine. How do you make sense out of the different opinions, right? Because you're probably not really up-to-date enough or maybe smart enough, honestly, to... Now, hold that thought. I'm going to come right back to you. I want to let folks know who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron. Our special guest is Janice Horwitz. Uh, We're talking about issues involving your health, taking control of your health. Janice wrote for many years for Time Magazine, also hosted a program on public radio dealing with dueling docs. And we're talking about getting complimentary opinions, perspectives on what an illness may be. And, And you just raised a good point, which is, okay, I've got these three or four different perspectives. What the hell does it all mean? In my book, Health Yourself, I talk about how to sort it out if you have different perspectives, um, how to make the right decision. And there are a number of ways. You know, you really do need a sort of filter person, a family physician, an internist. You need a sounding board to say, hey, this person said this, that person said that. What do I do? And the other thing is, well, two other things. One is you say to your second perspective, in the case I mentioned, it's orthopedist and osteopath, but the orthopedist said this, how do we reconcile it? So you you can try to get the confounding information, have them play a little ping pong. Also, old fashioned, get them to talk to each other say, can you talk to the orthopedist who told me I need surgery and you say I need a massage? Can you guys work that out and like report back to me of the pros and cons? And do they often agree to do that? You know, this is why you have to be a nice patient. (laughs) You know, you just have to, I, doctors really respect thinking patients, patients who allow them to operate in the gray area right? A lot of doctors just go by the book. They go by their guidelines. They're afraid of wavering. They're afraid they'll be sued if they waver. If you can present yourself, as I say in my book, as a healthy skeptic, a kind healthy skeptic, you'd be surprised how, what a relief that is for many doctors. That's why they went to medical school, right? To think through all these things and really help people. So bring them back to that place. Really good point. And I appreciate you making it. I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about ways in which we can protect ourselves with healthcare proxies and living wills, uh, things that uh, we often think of when it's too late to think of it. Exactly. That's exactly right. What to think about when it's too late to think about it. And what happens when it's too late to think about it is you're stressed out. So the goal for all caregivers is to reduce stress. We know that role is inherently and 
if you're a relative, profoundly stressful, that you carry it around, you're worried every minute. So there are two specific things that are a pain in the neck, but you hold your nose, you get them done, and it will inure to you and benefit you in the long run. And those two things are, one, sign you and your healthcare recipient while they're still competent, not saying everybody inevitably isn't, sign what's called a healthcare proxy. What does that do? That gives you, your healthcare recipient is appointing you to make all the decisions about their health when they are no longer able or competent to do so. Also called an end-of-life directive. Yes. Um, There's also a living will. So, So the reason you want to do that is because it adds to stress. So the reason is you want to prevent your sibling, your uncle, your care recipient's best friend, all in the room screaming at each other. And as a matter of fact, when that happens, it has a name. It's called triad encounters. And doctors hate that. It's the one thing they hate about having caregivers in the picture. There's a study in Canada that 80% of family physicians say the worst thing about having a caregiver is this screaming and yelling, everybody saying they know what to do and they what their wishes are. Now hold so, that thought. We're gonna come, we're gonna come right back to you. We need to stop here for just a moment. Uh, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron. We're talking with Janice Horowitz, and we're getting a very interesting discussion on end-of-life directives and ways in which we can protect what our best interests may be. We thank you for listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. We're delighted you're sticking with us right here at Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, and our co-host Carol Zerniel on special assignment today. And we're talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Janice Horowitz. Uh, she covered health for Time Magazine for more than two decades, created and hosted the public radio segment Dueling Docs, The Cure to Contradictory Medicine, and author of the book, Health Yourself, What's Really Driving Your Care and How to Take Charge, and uh, you can check it out on Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble as well. And Janice, we were talking about uh, all of the voices that end up uh, peppering a doctor from the caregiver to the family to the care recipient uh, and, and a study in Canada. How do you juggle all that if you're the health care provider? Right. So the idea is there's this legal document and 
you want your care recipient to appoint one person, let's say you, to make the decisions. You need that document signed while your care recipient is still competent and healthy. You will only make those decisions when that care recipient is no longer able to make them for him or herself. So there you are. All the other voices around are now silenced. It's up to you. Believe it or not, counterintuitively, that reduces your stress. What really helps in that is for your care recipient to sign something called a living will. We know what a will is when you're dead. It's your wishes. A living will is where the care recipient explicitly spells out how far they want to go to live or not live. In other words, do they want to be resuscitated? Do they want life support? You want to know your care recipient's wishes, and it provides guardrails for you. So as the healthcare proxy making the decisions, you now have a document to look at. So if you get these things squared away before there are problems, your life will absolutely be easier and less stressed. Now, how, how are those documents enforced? I, I, I know a, a case, and it's tragic. Somebody who lived across the street from me, his wife had uh, Alzheimer's, uh, really was not functional at all, had a DNR, do not resuscitate, goes to the hospital, crashes, and the doctor on duty resuscitates her anyhow, despite the DNR. You can't sue him, can you? for keeping your wife alive. You might be able to, but you won't get a lot, right? Because if a person's old, it's based on their kind of income and life expectancy, future loss of income. You know, I don't know how old, how long ago that was, but hospitals, there was a study maybe 10 years ago that 60% of the time hospitals ignored um, uh, living wills and DNRs do not resuscitate But now it's actually taken extremely seriously. And one point, Medicare will now pay for a session with your doctor to discuss what goes into your living will. And hospitals are much, much better at it. You know, you should have the uh, living will in your pocket, in your bag. You should take it to the hospital if you end up having to go take your care recipient to the hospital. That's a good point because they'd have no way of knowing otherwise. Right. I mean, if it's your community hospital, maybe you can have it put in the record in the charts, but it's a, it's a brave new world. Now they take it quite seriously. And in that living will, that document, you can specify, as you were saying, uh, request not to uh, be kept on life support, uh, not to be fed with a feeding tube, Uh, not to be resuscitated. Uh, What are some of the other issues that ought to go in that document? You know, you kind of covered it. You know, the people talk about being brain dead. They, you know, life support. It's really kind of that very last phase of life. And, um, you know, you kind of covered it. I mean, that's about it. You can find these online. They're not a big mystery. They're, they're unpleasant. I mean, the truth of it is it's unpleasant and 
put it on your calendar, you know, do it Wednesday at 9am, whatever it is, just get it over with. And someone had said to me uh, not long ago that you're very often uh, naming someone other than your spouse uh, as the decision maker, because often uh, he or she is reticent to say, yeah, unplug him, cut him off. Let's let him go. Yeah, I, that's correct. It's very funny that you mentioned that on a personal note. I won't let my husband <laughs> be my healthcare <laughs> proxy because he's the opposite. He's sort of very existential about life and, you know, whatever. My <laughs> brother and I are very linked. I said to my brother, I want to be freeze dried, you know, <laughs> and then when the cure <laughs> right. comes, defrost me. So my brother is actually my healthcare proxy because he and I share that, that perspective. Interesting. So you think your husband would cut you off too soon? Yeah, he'd say, whatever. She had a good life. Bye. <laughs> no, bye but that's bye. not for me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, and my mother and I, my mother who's not alive anymore was the same thing. You know, every minute of life was just too precious to, no matter what shape you were in, to to forfeit. But it, it's highly personal. And, you know, it, it's something you must... Um, respect for the person, you know, for the person signing it. And usually you can almost predict what somebody would say, you know, you probably know people in your life who are very fatalistic, and people who are the opposite. And, you know, it's, it's their chance to dictate what I was involved in a situation death. several years ago, where uh, someone in my wife's office uh, had sudden cardiac arrest, they had an AED, an automatic defibrillator available. They brought him back. He went to the hospital. They brought him back several times on the way to the hospital and at the hospital. Uh, and his daughter uh, told us when the office called to say, uh, here's what's happened to your dad. Well, he's got a DNR. And so I went to his house to find it. I never did find it. Later, after he recovers, he said, oh, thank God you never found the DNR. I'm happy to be alive. Right. Yeah. I don't even know. And it's something that maybe your listeners could look at. I'm not sure if a defibrillator rises to that because it's such a standard of care. You know, I, I seriously don't know. You know, one either. of the things you talk about is intubation, for example. That's something you could spell out. Right. And that that is an extreme measure. I'm not sure defibrillator is an extreme measure anymore. Now we've got about two minutes or so left. Anything we haven't asked you, you want to talk about? Um, well, there's tons of things to talk about. Um, why don't I very quickly go through how a caretaker can help with decisions about medication? Great. And that is, my concern, which I spell out in Health Yourself, are what's called, what I call lifer drugs, drugs that you may take for a year or years or for the rest of your life. You know, we can all survive drugs that you take for a couple of weeks. But if your doctor prescribes, it could be blood pressure lowering drugs, cholesterol lowering drugs, very common but there are questions you really need to ask. And by the way, if your care, you know, care recipients sometimes have vulnerabilities like hard of hearing if they're older, um, muddled thinking, or just don't have the fight in them anymore. 
So as the caretaker, please come with a pen and paper, write down answers. So very quickly, doctors will say things like, this drug will cut your risk of heart disease in half. Sounds like, my God, get me that drug, right? But actually a red flag should go up. You have to think like a mathematician. You have to invoke a little bit of this math brain, which is there's something called absolute risk and relative risk. Great, heart disease cut in half. You're taking this drug every day. It's costly. It's inconvenient. There may be side effects. So what does half mean? If your risk is so low to begin with of heart disease, given who you are, let's say it's 4% risk of a heart attack, and it cuts it to 2%, you have to decide whether moving the needle two percentage points is really worth it. So that's a question to ask. That's a good place to stop you, though. We're flat out of time, and I really, really appreciate it. If you want to check out her website, healthyourselfbook.com, tempted to say help, but it's healthyourselfbook.com. And Janice Horowitz, thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a great day. For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.